Every health system leader has executive management challenges facing their organization. This show supports leaders in addressing those challenges with cutting-edge information, leading strategies, and sharing best practices. Listen in and gain keen insight as industry leaders share their stories. The Baldridge Foundation welcomes you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello and welcome to Leader Dialogue. I'm Dr. Roger Spullman. I'm your host for today's discussion. And I'm so glad you've tuned in today to listen to another conversation with some of the most fascinating leaders in healthcare and in other fields. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to thank the Malcolm Baldridge Foundation for making Leader Dialogue possible. And also to give a shout out to our sponsor, About Healthcare. And speaking of, uh, about healthcare, I'm joined today by my good friends and colleagues, Ben Sawyer and Dr. Darren Versillo. These guys are both executives at About, and you've grown to appreciate, as I have, their real insight, their, their keen ideas and, and uh, thoughts about healthcare and about some of the challenges that we're facing today. Well, this conversation is going to be both interesting and really helpful. Um, our guests today are two of my very favorite nurses, and I've had the privilege of working with both of them in my career. We're going to talk today about systemness and operating as one system, employee empowerment and some seamless handoffs and things like that. And, and as I said, these two guests, these two favorite nurses of mine are Kim McGuire. Kim is the Executive Vice President and CNO at Northwest Community Healthcare in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Uh, it's a magnet recognized designated system, and Kim is fairly new in her position there, but we've had the opportunity to worked together at Mercy Health and Trinity for many, many years. And uh, she's just one, of, as I said, one of my favorite, favorite, not just nurses, but favorite people. We've had a great time working together. Well, Kim was actually the successor. Her predecessor in her job a number of years ago was Dr. Gay Landstrom. And, uh, you know, Gay didn't have enough initials after her name, like a lot of nurse executives. So she needed PhD. So she left us and went to University of Michigan to get her doctorate. Uh, and she has since done some amazing things. She's worked with Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health System. She's worked with Ascension, St. John's, and she was at Trinity before, and now she's back at Trinity Healthcare. Trinity, as you know, is one of the largest health systems in the country. And she is the Senior Vice President and Chief Nursing Officer for Trinity Health. Some just interesting fun facts, 34,000 RNs at Trinity and uh, 13,000 staffed beds, 100 hospitals, about 100 hospitals and 100 continuing care sites. So, Gay, you must be exhausted with all of that. <laughs> but, uh, but Kim and Gay, it is so much fun to have you on the program today with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for Great to be with you, Roger. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm really glad to introduce you to my friends, Darren and Ben, and, uh, and we're going to have a great conversation about these very important topics, systemness and seamless care and handoffs. And, and we were just talking before we hit record about some of the challenges that you as healthcare leaders are facing today. And we don't want to slide into that thing where everybody's talking about the pandemic and they kind of get stuck. And, um, and I know that for a fact that the two of you uh, are fully aware of the challenges, but you're not, con you're not um, satisfied to just sit and admire the problem. 
but you will get to work and try and make solutions for this problem. And, uh, and I know you've both been doing that prior to the pandemic and some things were put on hold and some things now you're saying, listen, this isn't going to last forever. We got to get busy. So could you just talk, you know, first of all, let me go to, um, let me go to Kim first. You're on the front lines, you know, you're doing this every day. You've got to keep your, your staff engaged and, um, you can tell us if you want how many openings you have. I know Gay and I talked about how many he has. It's quite a staggering number. But, you know, what is your greatest challenge, Kim, in a community health system right now as a chief nurse exec? Yeah, thanks, Roger. I uh, First of all, I just want to thank um, all the healthcare workers out there that are listening. Thank them for the last couple of years, especially. You know, I know we don't want to dwell on it, but it's been a rough couple of years in healthcare, as everybody knows. And so I just want to acknowledge everybody in healthcare and thank them for the hard work that they've put in over the last couple of years. Yes, do we. I'd say our biggest challenge um, at, at NCHYM right now, and, and probably not unlike any other healthcare system in the country, is staffing. Um, we're still struggling with our staffing. We have a fairly substantial vacancy rate here, both for our RNs as well as for our nursing assistants. Um, and that stretches into other uh, disciplines as well, such as respiratory therapy and surgical technologists and so on and so forth. Um, you know, we've, we've, our nurses are tired. They're weary. That's the word I use a lot. Weary is the word. Um, they're still engaged. They're still committed, but they are tired and they've been really um, tempted by some of the agency dollars that are out there. And so I think that's why we've seen a little bit of a turnover here at NCH. Um, and so we've been really working on different things that we can do here in Chicago to help them stay in, in, uh, in, their, in their organization in place and stay engaged. And um, we've had some success with a couple of tasks we put in place, but that's our biggest issue right now. Then in the acuity of our patients, our patients are really sick. I, these are the sickest patients that I've seen in my entire career as a CNO and as a nurse. And, um, you know, patients that we used to see in the ICU, we're seeing on med surge now, which is, you know, very normal. And so we're dealing with high acuity and very tired staff right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for what you're doing. Kim, and, uh, and we do have an appreciation, but I, I want everyone to have an appreciation for what your challenges are and what you're doing. Um, Gay, you, through your system, through Trinity, have been working on some ways, because this is, you know, it takes what Kim's situation is and multiplies it across about 100 other facilities. So, you know, what's your RM vacancy rate, Gay? Uh, well, I, I really, I share... Um... You know, everything that Kim said is absolutely true in the 25 states where I have facilities. Um, our vacancy rate um, is really approaching in many of our ministries 20%. And, um, and that, that really matches the numbers that we've been seeing across the country. One in five you know, healthcare workers have, have left, um, left the bedside and they're doing something different. Um, and, and we had some vacancy before this pandemic hit, but clear, it's clear that the pandemic really shifted things for a lot of clinical staff. And it's not that, um, it, we're, we're just seeing that what we were becoming aware of prior to the pandemic just accelerated. So prior to the pandemic, a good year before the pandemic, we had been doing quite a bit of work 
um, really trying to listen um, to, to staff, um, nurses, respiratory therapists, a lot of um, those caregivers that are um, part of the interprofessional team at the bedside in an inpatient area. And what we were seeing was that what they needed and wanted in life was changing. And, and what they needed and wanted, it, that all accelerated during the pandemic. But my point is it started before that. And I think it, it might've been more subtle. And, um, and I know some of my colleagues that I talked to across the country um, somewhat, um, I think, resisted the thought that the, it was shifting. And, and I described the shift as um, our nurses and respiratory therapists and others were wanting to have more control over their schedules and their lives. And they were becoming, and it wasn't just the young, you know, newer generations. It, it was a bit more mixed than you might assume. And they were wanting, they didn't want to beg for vacation or have to wait till they'd been there 20 years and have enough seniority to, to get what they, um, you know, really desired and taking that family vacation or always having to work half of the holidays um, working every two or three weekends, they were willing to work very hard and bring their expertise um, to patient care, but they needed more control. And I think in our um, historic uh, roles, those, those full-time or part-time FTE roles, um, we weren't giving them a lot of flexibility and they needed more and more and more flexibility. And um, we needed to be responding to that. And then pandemic hits. And that's all anyone is talking about is, um, is, is the value proposition. What kind of um, money can they make for this really dangerous hard work they're doing? And what kind of flexibility could they um, enjoy. It suddenly is, you know, um, right at the forefront. So um, just in, in short, I'll share, we began developing a national, um, for lack of a better term, sort of an internal agency um, to give a place for um, clinical staff to um, to be able to uh, bring their, their skills and their experience um, to patient care, but they could control their schedule. And they were compensated well um, for it. Um, and sort of that you don't, you don't get many benefits, but you're, you're making a good salary, more similar to um, travel agencies. And when the pandemic hit, we also launched a national traveler program. So we had both regional and national ways for staff to work for our company um, and care for our patients and align with our, our mission and vision. They didn't have to always go to an outside firm to get what they needed. Yeah, yeah, Darren, I'm, I'm sure that you're, uh, you've got a lot of thoughts and comments about this as a practicing in uh, hospitalist, you know, you've seen some of the impacts of this, uh, I'm sure. So share with us what your thoughts I, are. Thanks, Roger. You know, first of all, it, on, a, on an audio only podcast to, um, to, to see all the, the nodding heads here in the background as, uh, as Kim and Gay have been talking about the things that they've been, uh, you know, sharing. Um, I think we're just all in, in, you know, in violent agreement of everything that they've been talking about here. Um, so thank you for sharing and, and all you're doing. Um, uh, in, in, yeah, in my, in my experience, uh, we've been seeing the same thing in the Salt Lake area where, where, where I practice. 
and uh, and, and seeing some of the statistics, you know, the 20%, um, uh, you know, great resignation rate uh, or the move on rate and the uh, the 10-year process it's going to take um, to uh, to replace all of these and and uh, the increase in in ER boarding and transferring patients because they're, you know, we don't have staff. And, and I think it was Kim that was mentioning, you know, making these decisions to put ICU patients on a tele ward and tele patients on a medical ward that is just reaching the, the radial limits of your wireless telemetry so you can take care of these patients. I mean, it's all these things that we're dealing with. Um, so, um, you know, you have to adapt, right? You, it's, it's adapt or fail. And, and some of the, uh, some of the things you've talked about implementing, I think, are probably of great interest to uh, many organizations around the country. I wanted to pose a question to you. Um, one thing as a hospitalist, it's always been um, extremely gratifying and reassuring to me in working with the nurses uh, that are either in the ICU or in, you know, step down tele, you know, med search, what have you, is, is their ability to be critical thinkers mm-hmm. and to... Um, to really um, analyze situations, to think outside the box, and not just do, but to to think and to um, uh, to 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 go one step beyond. And so, um, how do you how do you take your nursing staff? And you're, you're right; they're weary and uh, and and it's tough. How do you keep them critically thinking about what's going on and reward them for that, so they continue to do that, and we just raise the bar? Of, of how they're um, how they're in their practice. Mm-hmm. I, I can start with that. One of the things that I did in a previous role or in a previous organization is, um, especially early in the pandemic, we took nurses in our med surge areas that showed some interest in critical care, but could never crack into critical care because there were never any openings. We, cre- we created a tiered system. And so we had, I think it was tier one through four and if you were considered a tier four nurse, we could put you in the ICU on a team with an ICU RN. But with that came um, additional educational opportunities. And so we would tear them up, if you will. And that's how we kind of stretch our RN um, uh, resources that we had during the early part of the pandemic. And what we ended up with pleasantly is that when we did have openings, we had a slew of med surge nurses that were ready to go into the critical care area because they had been working alongside very experienced critical care nurses and critical care physicians. And so they had a safety net of learning, if you will. And so that kind of honed in the critical care or the critical thinking. And so we maintain that going forward to help with that. And that's something we're looking at doing here at NCH as well, is is having these additional educational opportunities to help our nurses grow in their their, their ability to take care of a sicker population. Well, and and I'm glad you shared that. And um... And that idea of nurses being able to to graduate up through that, you know, those higher acuity patients, and 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 you know that idea of critical thinking, not obviously to be you know um, equated solely with critical care, but that critical thinking capability on any level of care, it just raises the the quality of care um, as well. So no, thank, thanks, Kim. I appreciate that. I know one of our themes in this conversation is. Um, is systemness. And one of the things that we did within Trinity Health 
um, again, starting it before the pandemic, but I was grateful that we had started this before the pandemic. We knew that we really um, needed to um, increase the development of our nurses and create some opportunities for them, even before they might move into a specialty area um, to be able to gain some um, greater knowledge, to be able to really think through complex care, because frankly, um, I know Kim would agree with this. There are no simple patients that have a single condition. They're just not, um, right. they're, they're not going to spend a single night in the hospital. These patients, um, if you look at some of the Medicare data, you know, they've got four, five, six, seven, eight um, comorbidities, and that takes some really um, serious planning, um, you know, and, and nurses need to be able to think critically um, and creatively in putting together plans of care um, in, in that kind of context. Absolutely. So we, we began developing um, what we called an academy program. And if a nurse was thinking about career-wise, wanting to become um, a critical care nurse or a care, a care manager or move into surgery or the emergency department or any other um, specialty area that they could be, be a part of a six to nine month academy program where they could, um, they, it, we did uh, set it up virtually, but they could learn from experienced nurses. They could um, gain some of that knowledge um, and, and, and bring that to their patient care, um, uh, the unit that they're on, even if it's a, a med surge unit, but we could really um, increase the ability of nurses to think about complex care. Um, and so we, we had started that and we're continuing to expand it and we offer it to our nurses uh, across all of Trinity. It'd, it'd be more challenging for an individual hospital to develop it alone. So we um, we really leveraged it across our system. I will make one other note that is a, a emerging challenge for us um, is that, and I, I know this because we've been doing a, a piece of research, really interviewing brand new nurses and nurses ready to, or students ready to graduate from nursing school their um, education has really been very disrupted over the last couple of years. And for many of them, they were really missing a lot of their clinical experience and learning from experienced nurses. Some weren't even able to get into simulation labs for many, many months. And so um, we have nurses, and, and I know this impacted um, other uh, clinician education programs as well, we have some young clinical people coming out of their programs with very different experience and development. And that is causing health systems to really need to augment that, um, recognize where they are and help to develop them into the clinicians that we need. But it's not the same product coming out of programs, at least over the last couple of years. So it's it's another challenge and one that you know we're all embracing and figuring out. I think Gay makes a really good point. And I want to expand on that a little bit because um, we've been seeing the same thing here at NCH. And so the expansion of residency programs for nursing, I think is very, very important. When you talk about what do you want your CEO to know about, we need to expand our residency programs in incorporating simulation into those 
um, programs because we're experiencing that as well. Nurses just did not get the same training during the pandemic. I was just going to jump in there and ask, you know, maybe this is a simplistic question or doesn't have a simple answer, but are you both seeing more of the, what about the age cohorts? Are you seeing more of your resignations or people leaving the field? Is it the seasoned, the, the nurses that have the most experience or is it across the board? And, and the other thing is, are you seeing younger nurses choosing this as a profession or have the numbers dropped because of how crazy things are? I don't know about you, Gay. We're seeing a mix. Yeah. We're seeing a mix. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the other part of this, and Darren, you, you know this to be very true, that newly trained physicians, and Gay, when you talk about newly trained, you know, the disruption that occurs in nurses training, I know some young people who are in medical school or have been in medical school right. and they're, they've been horribly disrupted. And I, yeah. I think, Oh my goodness, you know, they're nice people, but I hope I never have to rely on them <laughs> as a physician because yep. I don't know what their training's like. And you compound it because you've got Darren, you know, this, that who's your best friend as a brand new doctor or as a resident, it's the experienced nurse. Exactly. Exactly. I so, so if they're not there, my goodness, we have yeah. lots of challenges. <laughs> I, have a, I have a daughter and a son-in-law, both in medical school, and they're experiencing that exact thing. Uh, you know, the the lack of being able to get the clinical um, experience and are having to travel all over the country to find those experiences. And, um, and, and Gay and Kim, you know, one thing that, um, you know, apart from my clinical work with About Healthcare, something that we work extensively with is uh, transfer centers and access centers. Um, and, you know, the, the, the best model there is to staff them with experienced nurses so they can interact with those providers as they're, uh, they're calling in. And I just, one of the things that just came to mind was um, as you see people shifting around to different areas, whether they're on the wards or have other opportunities to go into something that maybe isn't so, you know, bedside intensive, like being in an access center and then working with kind of, you know, care traffic control, um, in that environment. Um, I see such great experienced nurses getting into those environments and providing services within organizations where they just keep getting more and more added on to the work that they're doing in these access and transfer centers because they are so capable. They have so much experience and they can help create, as you mentioned, gay systemness. So they can help load balance across the organization. Have you been leveraging that within your organizations to do those alternative sort of uh, services as well? So I'll, I'll jump in and answer that. Um, we have been doing a lot of work with, um, with looking at what our care model needs to be um, in the future, recognizing that the country is short of registered nurses, um, short of even LPNs and nursing assistants. Everyone's vying for nursing assistants. Even McDonald's is competition now. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. The competition um, for, for that, that um, entry-level worker is just compounding. So um, we really have to pay attention to not only attraction, but reasons for people to stay um, in those professions. Um, but to your point, we've really been looking at how do we how do we create roles that those nurses who are um, retiring early, and we saw that um, during the last two years, that's one of the groups that we were losing. 
not only all that experience, all that knowledge, um, those are the ones who also mentor our, our newer uh, minted right. nurses. So losing that component is really, it, it, it causes a lot of um, issues. So one of the things that we've focused on is how can we create roles where we can really um, encourage those nurses to stretch out their career a few more years? We, we need them to stay in nursing longer. And if that's not at the bedside hiking up and down hallways, how can we bring them into patient care so they can help with complex care, so they can mentor those young nurses, um, and, and they can be a really vital part of the team? And, and how do you make a, a, a role and a value proposition that will entice them? And, um, and I've been talking to nurses that retired in the last couple of years, and I've talked to them about if you, if you could be a virtual <laughs> nurse, part of a care team, but you're not actually in, um, on that floor, that inpatient unit, but you can um, be a part of working with the patient, um, helping you know, with assessments and complex care planning and mentoring a young nurse, would you do it? And I have yet to have one of those um, nurses tell me no, they're really interested. So That's great. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of work in that, in that direction. And I am convinced that virtual roles for probably nurses, pharmacists, case managers, um, lots of different roles, there will be a role. And, um, and I think it's our future. So as so you're talking about maybe creating programs and Kim, I don't know if you're doing the same thing, but kind of an, an off ramp, you know, sort of a gradual off ramp rather than saying I've had it, you know, getting to the frustration level, say I just can't take it anymore, which is is horrible. We haven't we haven't touched on the behavioral health, mental health challenges and and issues. We should do that at another for another podcast. But you know, can you create an off ramp where, as you said, Gay? stretch it out just a little bit more. Don't, don't send them into retirement completely used up and, you know, overusing alcohol and drugs and stuff because they had to cope with it, but actually a nice, easy off-ramp where they're contributing to the day that they leave in a very positive way. Have you seen that? Have you been able to utilize that system? I personally have not, but I'm calling Gay after this podcast. <laughs> I have her cell number. <laughs> <laughs> great, great, great. Well, the that's, thing that's I wanna, the only other thing I wanted to mention was we're doing, uh, I think the other thing we have to really hone in on, and I know Gay is doing this, is working with our academic partners with apprenticeship programs and releasing some of our senior nurses to teach because we have a problem in nursing with having enough instructors. And so we're trying to do more and more of that um, here back home. I did that and I'm trying to do more of that here as well in Arlington Heights. Um, but that's another op opportunity, I think, for us in healthcare is to really have stronger partnerships with our academic partners. That's you know, great. Kim, and some of those combined roles for a, a nurse who's an active clinician, but frankly, the patients are very, very acute and um, and it can be difficult for them to stay in that work if they have a blended role where they might also be teaching yeah. in a program that yeah. gives them respite and allows them to um, go back to the bedside um, with some renewal. And I, I think it contributes to resiliency. So those blended roles, I think, are, are kind of brilliant. Boy, I remember that some of the things that we worked on, you know, were you know, saving physicians and nurses from burnout. This was before the pandemic and we had no idea what, what was coming, 
But, uh, you know, some of those things kind of went by the wayside because it's just the tyranny of the urgent. You're just in the moment, just trying to survive. So hopefully we'll get back to some of those things in the near future, won't we? You know, some of those more proactive measures. Absolutely. Um, I I do think we were um, the challenges of the workforce. We've got years of um, working on this, but we need to keep our eye on on that long range plan, not just digging Mm -hmm. out of this challenging hole, but but um, where we need to go beyond that. Well, you know, I knew this was going to happen. We're sort of at the end of our time, but but um, I'm going to ask Ben to talk about something in a minute. Uh, we have been so fortunate to have the two of you on this podcast. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. But we've uh, just for our audience, we have a webinar coming up and we've um, also twisted those arms uh, to get you to to be on our webinar, to have this roundtable discussion, to further this this very important discussion. And Ben, could you just tell our audience a little bit about how they can get involved in that? Yes, absolutely. So there is a webinar titling that's titled Systemness and Operating as One that Gay was just referring to it is on February 22nd uh, at noon central. And um, people can sign up through the Baldridge Foundation Leader Dialogue Program. The, the registration link is on there. It's at www.leaderdialogue with the G U E ending. Uh, com, and you can find that in the um, event page and sign up for that. And we'll continue this conversation, which, by the way, was really fantastic, uh, Gay and Kim. We really appreciate it. I, I, the thing that stuck out to me in the conversation was a lot of these trends were happening before the pandemic hit, and it accelerated it. And, and the comment you just made, Gay, which is you have to respond in the moment, but really the goal is to be able to look at the horizon and say, how can we make changes? Because healthcare has changed, right? Probably permanently. How do we make changes that that can get us in the right place um, uh, going forward in the future for our patients? Well, that's so true. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. We've come to the end of our time. If you've been taking notes, I hope you have been. You can go back and listen. You've heard some really innovative solutions to some really difficult challenges. And we want to thank you both, Kim and Gay, for the leadership that you're showing in this really important time and in your work. And Darren, thanks for your questions and comments. Ben, um, we are grateful. There are lots of podcasts. We're so grateful you decided to tune into this one. And we hope that you really got some some creative solutions, but join us on our webinar in a couple of weeks. And uh, we'd love to have you have an opportunity to, to submit some questions to our panelists in our round table. So thanks so much for listening. Thank you again to our guests. Keep leading in this very difficult time. We need you, your patients need you. Uh, so thank you so much. We'll see you next time.